How is everybody? Good, good. You, you guys can, you can sit down unless you want to stand the whole time. It's up to you guys. Hey, I'm just, uh, I'm just curious, and this isn't so we can um, bash our fathers or anything like that. Just if you feel comfortable enough, how many of you, I used to think my story was unique. I, 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 was, I was disowned by my father when I was 17, and uh, my father hasn't spoken to me in many years. Uh, would you raise your hand if you have a, a broken relationship with your father? Just curious. Um, here's what I'm going to do tonight. Uh, I got three different passages of scripture I want to read and do my best to, to just kind of elaborate on them a little bit. And, and I'm going to try to, Dave set it up very, very well. He was kind of tasked with challenging the generation. I'm the last of the Gen Xers. I was the, born in the last year of the Gen Xers, 1979. And then uh, the millennial started in 1980. So I'm kind of in this weird in-between spot. But uh, Dave was kind of challenging my predecessors, and then my kind of, of goal that I want tonight is I want to challenge those receiving instruction, the younger ones in the room. I want to challenge you to learn how to follow uh, the men that have come before you, okay? So I'm going to jump through this a little bit, and uh, I'm going to pray before I get into this, and uh, be gracious with me, guys. It's been a, uh, a crazy week, and uh, I'm going to do my best to, to, to hopefully make my point tonight. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Father, there's something about uh, a group of men singing Come Thou Fount that is just extremely powerful. There's something, God, about men being in this room and fellowshipping together and, and committing to honor you through raising the next generation the way you want us to do it, God. Lord, my prayer tonight for every man in this room is that you just honor them, Lord. Honor them, God, for their commitment. Honor them, God, for their choice to be here. Honor them, God, for the fact that they are, are making themselves vulnerable to you, Lord God. Help us, Lord, in a world that is just upside down and backwards to where we have little idea, if any, of what a man really is. Lord, I pray that you teach us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick story before I begin. There's a man named Cy Rogers. You should look him up. He's probably my favorite speaker in the entire world. In the late 1970s, Cy Rogers was in the process of becoming a woman before that was a thing, right? It's kind of like nothing to us now. And he was in the process in the late 70s of going through uh, the psychological side of it and the, uh, taking the certain drugs to, to build up his estrogen, and he was going to become a woman and get a full-blown sex change. Um, in the middle of this process, he became a Christian, gave his life to Christ, ended up getting married, ended up uh, having children, um, and he's a phenomenal speaker, again, one of my favorites. A very feminine man. He's not into sports. He's a good-looking guy. He's always sharp-dressed. He talks with his hands a lot. He's very, very feminine. And he points it out, right? It's kind of like a joke that he, that he makes. And he says that in our society, we think a man is a guy that, like, screws a lot of chicks and watches a lot of football and gets in bar fights, and that's a man, right? Completely contrary to what the Bible tells us what a man is. And there's this great lesson that Cy Rogers taught where he gets up and he kind of talks a little feminine and he's, you know, real sharp-dressed and hair always looks good and all that stuff. And he says, it's funny because you guys judge me because I don't act like your version of a man, but when it comes to the Bible, I love and take care of my wife, provide for her, and I've raised my children to fear the Lord, which means I'm more of a man than most of you in this room. <laughs> and the first time I saw him do that, I was like, woo, I like this guy. Uh, but it's just a wonderful man. I'm going to read to you from, uh, from 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 5 through 8, and this is focusing on... Uh, the generation that came before me, okay? This is what it says. 
It says, in the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour, okay? So Peter was writing, the guy that wrote this book of the Bible, was writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor. And he was writing to a group of Christians who were extremely persecuted, right? Very persecuted. And in this letter, this was a letter written to these churches, he addresses the leaders of the church, right? The older generation in the first couple of verses. And he tells the older generation how to lead the younger generation. He says, lead them with humility, lead them without lording over them, and lead by your actions, not by your words. Very, very simple. But this is how he says to lead the generation coming up. But here's the thing. So there is this responsibility set on the first generation, right? This first generation of leaders, but there is not uh, uh, an escape of responsibility for the ones coming after them. So Peter doesn't stop with one generation, but he starts to put the pressure on the next generation to receive that leadership. So older men lead well, younger men receive it, take it. In the same way, you younger men be subject to your elders clothe yourselves with humility. And so what we see is the keys to receiving the leadership of the people before us is we must be humble and we must be submitted. Simple stuff. We must be humble and we must be submitted. We must sit back and say, okay, these guys have been around longer than me. They might know a couple of things that I don't know. I better be humble. I better submit. The problem, or I guess the message of this is not complicated. The message is simply this. When men lead the way that they're supposed to lead, when they lead their families, their employees, their spouses, whatever sphere of influence that we've been given, right? With, when we're responsible with that leadership and when we're godly in that leadership, if we give that the way God wants us to and if people reject that, if they do not receive that well, what they do is they are disobeying the Lord and they are opening up a door for Satan. It is that simple. We are supposed to give godly leadership. The younger generation is supposed to receive that. But if we are rebellious to that, we've opened up a door for the devil to come in. And we've seen those statistics that Corey gave us. We've seen the results of a generation that has been rebellious to the generation before us. We've seen the results of that. And so Peter says to be clothed with humility. This is supposed to cover every single inch of us to be humble. And this is a reference to John 13. If you come to this church, we just did this chapter. We just talked about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, setting this example. And that's what Peter was referring to when he wrote chapter 5, that the servants are, that were to be humble to the point of washing people's feet, to the dirtiest parts of humanity. Now, this doesn't mean, humility doesn't mean that we self-deprecate. It doesn't mean that we put ourselves down, right? That's not real humility, right? The humility is not making yourself look stupid or, or, or thinking less of yourself, Humility is that we love people enough to serve them, even in the grittiest ways, even in the most disgusting ways, right? Even in the hardest and most challenging ways. So a great nugget from the Bible, one that we should just put away somewhere into the core of us and remember this, right? This is a great nugget of the Bible. 
it says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And what Peter is quoting, this he didn't come up with that. He got that from a guy named Solomon who wrote the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you guys know this. Proverbs was written primarily for young men. It was an instruction manual for young men. And what this verse shows from Proverbs 3 is that the reader, that if God sees that we are prideful, that God pushes away from us, right? That he resists us. What a scary thing to say. That if I am prideful, it's not just my friends I'm going to lose. God is saying, hey, I don't want to hang out with you right now. That we are prideful. But that if we are humble, God shows tremendous mercy to us, right? So what is pride? Pride is something that doesn't acknowledge that you have a weakness. This is where we struggle as men. We talked about vulnerability earlier. This is hard for us, right? We don't want to let our guard down. We don't want to cry. We, want to, we don't want to admit that we like the notebook, right? That's about a friend of mine that... Anyways, so... <laughs> I'm going to make it through this. We're getting there, guys. See? I don't have any pride. Pride doesn't acknowledge weakness. Um, pride considers itself the standard. Everyone should do it like me, right? You should do it like me. I'm the standard. Pride is self-centered and pride has an, an air of superiority, right? I'm better than these people. I look down on them. This is pride and this is what we need to avoid. This is what we need to make sure we are nowhere near this thing, this kind of pride. And the problem is this, is even if we mask our pride, even if we're good at hiding it, uh, God still sees it. He sees everything. And if we humbly submit to the proper authority, and if we humbly submit ultimately to God, we place ourselves, I love how Peter says this, we place ourselves under the protection of the mighty hand of power. That's God's, that's God's hand. And even if man doesn't see the good things we do, even if we submit to people, and it is hard to submit to people at times, that God sees that, and at the proper time, God exalts us. Here's the thing, guys, nothing gets past God's eyes. So even in this earth, if, if no one notices that we have lived in the way that we should live, at the end of this life, at the end of this earth, God's going to reward us properly. And whenever God sees fit, at the proper time, Peter says it, we will receive the reward of honoring those who've come before us. Now listen, we will, we will all go through stages where we will be taken advantage of where we have been treated uh, inappropriately, where we've been underappreciated, even when we've been betrayed. Look at David. Look at David and his relationship with Saul in the Old Testament, right? He served this guy. He served the generation before him to the best of his ability, and the only thing he got in return is they wanted to kill him. That's it. But God will reward humble people when he sees fit, and that takes a tremendous amount of trust from us, but we must know that at the proper time, God knows when to step in and reward those. The other part of this is this. We must be humble, we must submit, and we must also trust God. We must cast our cares on Him. As we are humble and submitted, we must also understand that just because we're doing the right thing doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be stress. There's going to be worries. There's going to be complications. And in these times of worry and stress and complications, we are to cast our cares on Jesus because we know that he cares for us, right? We're not to carry that alone. He cares for us. So this is what we should do, right? We always see what we're supposed to do. And I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8. This is, again, these are one of these scriptures that, that men, we should just kind of hold this one. This is one that we should at least be able to paraphrase, right? 1 Peter 5, 8. If we choose not to be humble, 
if we choose not to be submitted, and if we choose not to help Jesus carry our burdens, if we choose to neglect that, we open up a door, like I said earlier, for Satan to come in. And 1 Peter 5, 8 is a wake-up call that there is a spiritual battle, and it's going on regardless if you want to participate or not. But if we refuse to participate, we're going to get devoured, as the Scripture says. So 1 Peter 5, 8 says, there is an enemy, he's walking around, and he's looking for a way in. And if we are not humble, if we are not submitted, if we are not dependent on Christ, he's going to come in. And we must understand the severity of our lack of commitment to God's plan of being humble and submitted. Okay? All right? Now, here's the big question, though. Corey, that's all great. Be humble and submitted. These people have my best interests at heart. I'm going to do what they say, right? It's all good. The problem is sometimes leadership sucks. The problem is sometimes they're corrupt. The problem is sometimes governments are not God-fearing. The problem is sometimes our employer is wrong. Sometimes our fathers are wrong. So what do we do when we have a generation that has come before us that hasn't done what the Lord has wanted them to do? Now, let me read this passage real quick. This is from 2 Peter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Let me read a little bit of this. It says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God and honor the emperor. Okay? Now, again, all that sounds good, right? Until you understand who Peter was talking about. Peter was writing to Christians that lived in an environment that we're completely unaware of. We, we, we have no uh, uh, barometer for how big of a deal it was to be a Christian in Peter's times. The Gentiles, that basically is saying non-Christians and non-Jews, right? They scrutinized Christians, they criticized Christians, they spread rumors about Christians, they made accusations, and this seriously damaged the lives of believers. There were people who were maliciously going after the Christians, and Peter says, honor them respect them, submit to them. Peter advised to not argue back with people that are malicious, but to live in such a manner, to demonstrate such a positive Christian lifestyle, to show them what it means to truly live. That that's how we are to respond to leadership that is bad, that it is corrupt, that it may even be malicious towards us. And so what Peter instructs us to do, if we say, how can we submit to people who are corrupt? Peter says that if we live with goodness, if we live the way Christ told us to live, we can change the atmosphere, not by rioting and burning down buildings and beating people up and starting wars, but by being submissive and humble. And so we are called to respond to bad leadership in tense environments with righteous Christian lifestyles. And the, why do we do this? So they may see our good deeds and glorify God. It's not so we can step back and be victims. It's so that they can see that we take it and we respond with respect and honor and eventually a bunch of them will glorify God. Now, if you wonder what goodness is, you can go back and you can read a little bit more 
and Peter kind of defines what is goodness. So the question is this, do we submit to non-Christian authorities? When Peter wrote every, he meant every, every authority, every legitimate human authority we are to respect. That means we're to respect our parents, we're to respect pastoral leadership, educational leadership, business leadership, even if those elements have parts about them that are contrary to our faith. Now listen, submission to authority doesn't mean that we do things contradictory to the Bible. The best example of that is Daniel. If you go back and read, Daniel was so respectful in an environment that was completely, completely anti his personal beliefs, but he still respected the kings. And he kept being elevated over and over and over again and was under several different kings several different empires that he was under. And that was made possible because he submitted to the authority, but he, did not, he didn't do things contrary to his beliefs in God. Listen, we can respectfully decline and disagree with leadership. We can do it with respect and we can do it with dignity. We can do that, right? And Daniel shows us that we can achieve those things. Why do we do this? We do this because submission pleases God. You can't get around it. This can be a hard concept to grasp, guys. And last year, if you come to this church, we talked about this a lot in 2016. Regardless of who got elected, I said it a gazillion times, that regardless of who got elected, it's because God wanted them there. And every president we've ever had, it's because the, the Lord ultimately allowed those people to be in power. Listen, sometimes the Lord allows people to be in power to teach us a lesson, and it's not always a good lesson. That God allows that in His wisdom. So our submission to authority does not diminish our freedom. Just because I submit to a, and I'm not, I don't want to go there. I didn't agree with everything the last president did. I'm not going to agree with everything this president is. I didn't agree with the one that was there a couple of presidents ago on everything. But if that man were to walk into the room, any of the three men, President Bush, President Obama, President Trump, if they were to walk into this room, I'm going to stand up straight and I'm going to do everything I can to shake that man's hand because I submit to that position. I submit to that authority because Romans 13 tells me to. And so the freedom that God gives us is not a freedom Donald Trump gives me or Barack Obama gives me. I have a freedom much greater than that, that even in the most oppressive culture that could ever exist, like the Roman Empire, Peter's freedom was not based on Caesar. Peter's freedom was based on God. And that gives me the freedom to honor earthly authority because I know ultimately I answer to something bigger. That's what I know. And so God gives us spiritual freedom. And it's something that we have regardless of, of the earthly uh, leaders we have. And so sometimes we step back and we're seeing it a lot right now, right? A lot of opposition right now with our president, and there was with the president before him too. We talk about how bad Obama was or how bad Trump is. And listen, the guy that was in charge when Peter was writing this book of the Bible, Caesar Nero, was nuts, right? This is a guy that set his own empire on fires just so he could blame it on the Christians. This is a guy who ultimately killed Peter on an upside down X and who killed Paul by cutting his head off, right? This is a guy that was absolutely psychotic. He was insane. And if you were to go back and research Roman history of all, maybe Caligula is the only guy that was nuttier than Nero, but there's very few leaders that were crazier than Caesar Nero. And this guy, Peter said, honor him, honor him. Now we don't even have a, we can't even fathom that in our culture, right? We can't even fathom that. And now I know we're looking at an extreme here, 
But just like Dave said, God asks us to receive the torch of the previous generation with humility and submission. Hold on to that for a second. So in a time when you had Caesar Nero, right? How does this apply to the church? If Peter could submit and be respectful to a nutcase like Nero, we should be able to submit and be respectful to people right now that we disagree with. There are Christian leaders that are corrupt as well. There are Christian organizations that are corrupt, that misappropriate the money, that, that do things that they should not do. And we can honor them, and we see the example because Peter honored Nero, who ultimately had him killed. If Peter and Paul can do it, we can do it. If they can do it, we can do it. So we see the example, okay? Now this last part is Paul was writing to his protege, a young man named Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor, a leader, and he's going to show us how we are to respond to the, the generation before us, okay? This is in verse 4. Starting in verse 11, okay? This is what he writes to Timothy. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attendance to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by a council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those that hear you. Um, This generation, millennials, get a bad rap. They really do. Uh, Paul, who's speaking to the generation coming after him, right, a young leader, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, that because he's a young leader, that people are going to judge him simply because he's young. This, is, this whole, like, picking on the generation after us is not a new thing. This has always been going on. And Paul says, look, Timothy, you're a young guy, you're a leader, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to be prejudiced. They're going to say you're not equipped. They're not going to want to follow you. So he says to combat this, right? To combat this, you're going to have to live a life of love, faith, and purity. Basically, Timothy, don't give them any reason to despise the fact that you're young. You have to live up here, right? If you're going to want them to treat you like a nine, you have to live like a nine, right? You have to live way up there. So now listen, and I knew this would get me in trouble with some of the guys in the room. Millennials have become easy targets, especially for the generation that was tasked with raising them. Let that soak in for a second. We say, man, these millennials. And then we go, oh, wait a second. We're the ones that taught them everything they know or don't know. And so we are so busy picking on the generation before us. And all night tonight, if you've seen a common thread, and I ask you to raise your hands, how many of you didn't have dads, right? How many of you had that absence in your life? And and again, the statistics that Corey read. It's no wonder why we have the generation that we have right now, right? And because you millennials in the room, anyone born 1980 and beyond, you kind of have a strike already against you simply because you're young. People are despising you, like Paul said, simply because you're a young person. And because of that, though, you cannot give them any reason to validate what they think about you. You have to live at such a standard where all the criticism that they bring at you say, well, let's look at the facts. I work hard. I honor God. I respect authority. You can come at me with all your criticisms, but the facts tell you differently. We have to live at such a level that is high. We have to live above reproach. 
And so every generation, guys, you older, you older men in the room, older gentlemen in the room, you remember the goal that you had when you became a man was to take it up a notch. Every generation is, is tasked with taking society, with taking ingenuity, with taking the arts and parenting and technology and culture as a whole. We are tasked to bring it up, right? To make it more efficient, to make it better, to make it more creative. And so Timothy was instructed by Paul that if you're gonna take it to the next level, if you're gonna take it to the next notch, you better be reading. You better be encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ with you. You better be studying. In other words, this is what it means. If we as the younger generation are going to exceed the former generation, it's gonna take work. What we often see with young people nowadays is every young person wants to make an impact. I was talking with a young person just this week and I said, what do you wanna do? I wanna make an impact. Everyone wants to make an impact. And that's fantastic. I want you to make an impact. But in order to get to the top of the mountain, one has to climb a mountain. It's gonna take time. Right when you come out of college or come out of high school, you're not gonna live in the kind of house that your parents have lived in and accumulated over 30 or 40 years. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take time to drive that kind of car that they have or get to that place in that organization they've had. And we have to understand that we can make an impact. We can reach the summit of the mountain, but by God, we've got to start climbing the mountain. We've got to understand that this is going to be a journey. So we must read, we must encourage each other, we must study, we must push forward. And we must remember this, that everyone in this room is standing on paved streets that we didn't put together. Everyone in this room is standing on a foundation that we didn't build. Everyone in this room. Paul tells him, don't neglect the gift that the older people gave you, that they laid hands on him, that they imparted on him. They passed the mantle, they passed the buck to Peter. And Paul said, don't forget that. Don't forget that there were people before you that built this foundation. I was honored one time to speak. I don't even know what this was because I wasn't raised in, in church and in not this denomination. Um, I was invited to speak at a Concord Baptist uh, thing one time. There's about this many Concord Baptists. Some of you know what that is. I had no idea what that was. I know what Baptists are. I didn't know what Concord Baptists were, right? Um, and so there was a group of about 300 pastors, right? And all of them were older, all of them. There was, I was the only person with not gray hair in the room, right? And they asked me to speak for some reason, and I had no idea what I was getting into. And I walked up in shorts and a, like, you know, like a David Bowie t-shirt or something, which was a bad choice, right? And uh, <laughs> I, walk up th I walk into the room at New Vision where they asked me to speak. And right when I saw the crowd, I was like, oh God, what have I done? Uh, and I got up in front of them and threw myself at the mercy of these people. And I said, I want to tell you, I am so honored because the faith that I have it's because you guys paved the road before me. This is, what we need to, this is what we need to know. We need to not take for granted. We can easily forget that the roads we walk on were paved by people that came before us. So we must respect the, listen, we must res respect the successes of the past while still aiming to shoot at higher goals. Gentlemen, you older gentlemen in the room, thank you. Thank you for paving a way for me to become the man that I've become but I want to do greater than you. And I want my kids to do greater than me. I want them to do even, that should be the goal of every generation, is to break the record that we set, to build bigger churches, to reach more people, to, to go out and encourage more and serve more and take it up a notch. Listen, this was Jesus's goal. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you guys are going to do greater things than me. 
He didn't mean greater miracles. He, mean, he meant on a scale of success, it's going to be bigger. Jesus focused on a little sliver of the, of, of the world and he told his 12, you guys are gonna take it everywhere else. I just picked on this little section right here. You're gonna get the whole world, guys. You're gonna do bigger things than me. And that was his goal, was to send his children out to be more successful. That's what he wanted to do. So here's how I'd like to end this. I'd like to speak to the older men in the room and then I'd like to speak just for a minute to the younger people in the room. Now, for my predecessors, right? All of you millennials in the room, we're talking, we're not, we're not picking on you yet, right? We're gonna pick on the other guys in the room. You have to pray for a heart that wants greater things than what you've done. It is very tough. Let, let me tell you, and I'm not, I'm not gonna pick on my father. That's, I'm not gonna do that. I'll tell you something that really, really bothered me. Um, when I was young, when I was about... Uh, uh, 16 years old, I started wrestling in high school, and I was very good. Um, and I started playing tennis in high school, and I was very good at that as well. Those are two weird sports to mix, but anyways, I did that, right? And I was very good. It greatly bothered me because my father was not an athlete. It greatly bothered me. He never saw me compete one time. And that's something I've, I've, I've always remembered, right? I've forgiven him, I've forgiven him of those things, but it bothered me. Um, when I was 19 years old, I got signed to my first record label. I played music and I got signed to a record label. My father's never seen me play guitar, right? And so these things that I think there was a certain amount of jealousy that I had maybe reached some milestones in life before he had reached some milestones in life. And I don't mean that to be arrogant, guys, but listen, we have to make sure that we never get jealous of the generation after us's success. We want them to break our records. We want them to be more successful. We want them to succeed more than what we've done. I want my girls, I have two girls, and I want them to do things that are, that are just blow what I've done out of the water. But I have to pray for that heart, right? I have to keep myself in check. Listen, men, just be available. Be present. Be present. Put down the cell phone, right? You know, we pick on this younger generation about their cell phones. Man, I see guys in their 50s, 60s, 70s all the time. They're not talking to their wife. They're not talking to their family. Oh, they're stupid phones, man. I go to coffee shops, which were created for, for community, right? Coffee shops were created with conversation in mind. That's why they're there. If they weren't, they'd all just be drive throughs And actually, the worst thing that ever happened to Starbucks was the drive through It took the whole idea of the, the, the coffee shop out of it, right? You can just zip in, no, no community, zip out with your coffee. But I'll sit in just love, right? And you'll see people on their phones sitting across the table, men, 50s, 60s, 70 years old, sitting across, not communicating with their family. They're on their stupid phones, right? Be present. Be alert. Look people in the eye. Be an example, not by your words, but by your deeds, by your actions. Teach us, right? It's funny. Josh and I were talking one time when we first started the church, and we started doing a lot of weddings, right? Church was only a couple years old, but it was growing, and we we're doing a lot of weddings. And I'm, I'm, guys, I don't even mean this derogatory or making fun. There was a whole generation of young men, they didn't know how to tie a tie, they didn't have dads in their life. You say half Windsor and they're like, what is that, a Chevy or what is it, you know? <laughs> they didn't know what that was. They didn't know how to tie a tie. And I don't mean that to make fun of them, but no one has sat down. And I remember sitting with young men. I did their weddings. And I would stand behind them like, do this, go up, down, through, there. That's how you tie a tie. Teach us. Teach us. Teach us how to work on cars and teach us how to treat our wives and teach us how to, 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 to work and Show us these things, model these things, and also give us the opportunity to do it too. Hand us the wrench and say, this is how you do it. 
give us the tools. Give us the ways to, to, to then model what you are showing us to do. Guys, I don't mean this mean, but listen, your ways will not always be the way. I don't mean that mean. Whenever people say, well, Corey, we did church like this 30 years ago, I have to remind them that was 30 years ago. And I don't mean that mean. I don't. I don't mean it arrogantly. I don't mean it mean. But times have changed. And there's this younger generation where we keep saying, well, we didn't do it that way. Well, in your day, you didn't have to worry about transgenderism. In your day, you didn't have to worry about, you know, can we choose our own color? Can we choose our own gender? Can we? we didn't have to deal. You guys didn't have to deal with some of the problems that Corey Drake has to deal with. It's a different world, guys. It's, cra- it's different. I'm only 37. It's, it's drastically different than when I was 27, like Corey. It's very, very different. So our ways are not always going to be the way. And eventually, guys, you have to let the next generation take the wheel. Even if they fall flat on their face, you got to let them. You got to let them. It's your turn to drive. It's your turn to steer. It's your turn to come up with the ideas. Go, go, be successful. I'm here for you if you need me, but go, run, right? Now, that's for the older generation. Now, let me pick on the younger generation. Learn some humility. Learn how to say sir and ma'am, right? Learn some respect. Learn how to shake a hand. Learn how to stand up straight. Learn how to walk into a room and meet eyes with somebody. Learn some humility. Learn some submission, right? Learn some respect. Younger generation. Trust God and test all things by the word of God. If someone gives you advice, take it and then take it to the Lord and take it to the word. See if it lines up. Trust in God. Put your hope in him. Something that Corey talked about that I thought was great is he said, how many of you feel awkward around your wives praying, right? That we need to get over those things. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not, and one of the big reasons why we did this big men's summit is we started looking at how many men serve in our church, and the statistic of women to men is 70 to 30. 30% of men serve in our church. I'm sorry, of the 100% of people that serve, 70% of them are women. And we stepped back from that, and we said, there is a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem that we have five packed out women's groups and only one packed out men's group. That's a problem, right? We're going to change that, but that's a problem. We need to trust God. We need to test all things by the word. Live above reproach. If people want to shoot at you, don't give them the ammo. If people want to despise you for being young, don't do things that validate what they think of you, right? If you are playing video games till four o'clock in the morning, you're 30 years old, living with your parents, and you don't wake up till noon, and someone calls you lazy, you're lazy. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) and so what we've done, guys, is is people come into Josh and I's office, and, and this isn't an exaggeration. They'll say, we're struggling with depression and we're struggling with porn and we're struggling with relationships and we're struggling with getting on with our life. And we'll ask them, well, what are you doing? Well, I, you know, play World of Warcraft till 3.30 in the morning every night. Got to be at work at seven, so I never work. And I show up late and I got fired because I'm, you know, perpetually late. And we step back and we're like, man, no wonder you're struggling with depression. No wonder why you can't find a girlfriend, right? Because you, you have not lived above reproach. And the things people say about you has become true. Learn to submit even when you don't always agree. <laughs> it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. Uh, the church that I got saved in that I worked at, I did not agree with a lot of stuff. 
um, but I had to submit. And when I left that church, I shook my pastor's hand and I said, I swear to you on my own salvation, I will not steal anyone out of your church. I will not, I will not sow seeds of discord. I will, not, I will not speak poorly against you. And I said that to him. I did not agree with him, but I submitted to what he was. And I think that's one of the reasons why this church has been so successful. And I'm not saying that about me. God honors submission even when people haven't earned that submission. God honors it. Listen, my last thing for you young men in the room, and I'll, I'll be quiet, very simple. Work hard, don't despise the process, show up on time, and take responsibility. <laughs> That's it. If you haven't heard anything I said tonight, work hard, don't despise the process, show up on time, and take responsibility. That's it. That's it. Hey, here's how I want to end this before uh, they do a song and we move on to the, 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 the final parts of this. If you are a, you probably don't want to raise your hand now. If you're a millennial in here, would you raise your hand? Ooh, got a lot of them. That makes me happy. Hey, listen, keep your hands up for a second. If you are at a table by people and you are not a millennial, I want all of you elders in this room right now to lay a hand on millennial next to you and you're going to pray for him. Okay? We're going we're gonna to pray together, guys, okay? We've got all our millennials covered, right? <laughs> Here we go. Lord Jesus, Father, we love you, God. Lord, we want to pray for this generation coming up. God, we want to pray for this generation that has not been given proper fathership, that has not been given proper leadership, Lord God. We want to pray blessings over them. We want to pray that you make them the most creative generation, the most hardworking generation, God. We pray, Lord, that we make them the most God-fearing generation, a generation that raises up their children to be even greater than them, God. Lord, I pray for the elders in this room that they can impart wisdom on these young men, that they can be there for them, that they can pray for them, that they can hold them up, and like Dave said, that they can successfully hand that torch to them and let them carry your light into the world, God. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much.